You're listening to episode 196 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about what it means to be an authentic, reciprocal relationship. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Aloha, everyone. I'm on the big island preparing for the upcoming Adventure Mastermind Retreat. Y'all, the sunsets are off the hook, and I so needed this vitamin D and warmth after those cold AF days in Alaska, y'all. And yeah, it doesn't really sound like me today because my voice is all fucked up. I think from all the flying and travel, like my poor little vocal cords are suffering a little bit, but it is still me, (laughs) okay? Even though it sounds super weird. I'm like listening to myself going, who is that? But anyway, so, all right. Y'all might know that I spent a decade working as a professional mountaineering guide and instructor. I slept under the stars for over 200 plus days a year. I love it so much. And I actually cried when I went back to graduate school and I had like a small triangular window that looked up to the sky. That was all I had in my room. And I will never forget how important that small, often gray, but sometimes blue triangle was, and how sad it made me that it was so tiny compared to the endless sky, thick with stars, like star pea soup, right, in the Himalayas, or camped out on a rocky outcrop in Joshua Tree. And I've had a really fortunate, intimate relationship with nature and true wilderness for many years. And more recently, I realized my relationship with it like wasn't intentionally extractive, but probably more extractive than I would have liked it to be. Not as bad as like plastic manufacturers, but the world was more of a playground than a partner for me. You know, something with whom I enjoyed playing with, but not with whom I was in an intimate relationship with. I was intimate in the sense of like, I knew it really well. I I like understood the curves and I could find, like I could just tell by the topography where I would find water and stuff like that, but not in an emotionally intimate, reciprocal relationship, right? So I would often, you know, thank the rock after a climb, but I often didn't. I would often realize how grateful I was, but then I'd fantasize about, okay, what am I going to do next, right? I would feel grateful that I had free time and this wilderness for my pleasure and growth. I had a deep appreciation for the wild and more than human others, yet I don't think I thought of it as a reciprocal relationship. You know, I would usually pick up litter when I saw it and less frequently I would participate in these like local cleanups of climbing areas like the Yosemite facelift. But it felt more like it was for us to have a more pristine area and to keep from trashing it. You know, there wasn't the intimacy of reciprocity in the way I now know the practice of reciprocity to be. When I was in Joshua Tree in October, it was a really potent experience to hear from the rock 
that it loved people playing on it. You know, when I had my sort of liminal experience with the rock, right? I think of it like the way a mother loves caring for their child when they're not going that shit crazy, right? But I realized I also longed to return the gift. You know, it yeah, it was happy, but I also wanted to return the gift. So this lack of understanding true reciprocity for a lot of my guiding years, it makes sense though, right? Having grown up in a capitalist industrialized society, like the rock reassured me though, receiving is a part of relationship with the more than human world. And another aspect is reciprocity. With reciprocity, we don't just take from the more than human world, even if it's for our own health and wellness. Rather, it's about a partnership where there's give and take. It means we're staying curious, right? About what it means to be a part of the web, of how we are all connected. Kind of like a courtship, a wooing, right? And I'll interject here that while right now I'm speaking more about our reciprocal relationship with the more than human world, the universal truth of reciprocity and interdependence also applies to our human relationship. So listen, okay? Especially if you're a people pleaser. So historically in the US, there's a strong tendency to think of nature as a collection of resources. I would venture to extend that to women have often in a patriarchal society um, been thought of as a place of resource, a resource to utilize to help men be more productive, right? Or to help the society be more productive. But we can give as much as we receive. And in fact, we need that. And if we lived by that, it would keep us in check on so many levels. Like imagine if all of the energy that oppressed peoples put into the economy was actually reciprocated in kind. And they weren't being underpaid because of being undocumented, for example, right? And this is so true in the more than human world. What would it be like if we had to give back in kind what we take? And in modern industrialized practices, there's this concept of humans having dominion over the natural world, but it actually becomes domination, right? And that's one of the signs of a wounded masculine, right? Which, you know, and it's antithetical to the feminine, which has partnership as a foundation as opposed to domination. And domination leads to a broken foundation, and then we keep perpetuating a cycle of trauma. But what if humans were supposed to take the responsibility in the greater family of beings to take care and to engage in this you know, reciprocal relationship? So Amos Clifford, you know, one of the people who helped the idea of forest therapy expand in the United States, he said, we have the ability and responsibility to nurture the sentience of other beings and to help them, as well as, and I will add, us receiving teachings from them as well. So we're not talking about a savior complex here. We're talking about reciprocity. So what if we're supposed to rebel against the bullshit and be agents of awakening, helping call forth the conscious potential of all of creation so we can all do our soul work? 
So I'm going to read this quote here from Amos. He says, We can cultivate soft-hearted, sensual, connective, and communicative relationship with the trees and streams, stones and sky, all the many beings. But even this idea falls short. For ultimately, we are not the ones who call the trees to awakening. We're calling to awaken each other. It's not just the sleeping beauty who's awakened at the moment of the kiss. The one who kisses also comes into a greater fullness of life. It is a deep kiss, a meeting beyond reciprocity. More than an exchange between two separate beings, it's a remembering of our oneness. Our partnership with forest and the whole of the more than human world is a necessary thread on the loom of the evolution of the world. So as humans, we have a place we're called to inhabit in this web of life. You know, it's the lesson I received on my first wilderness solo in the forest at the edge of a meadow, a lone white wildflower telling me that like it, I belonged, even if my two-legged self from the hood seemed awkward as fuck out there, right? I am a part of nature. And the reality is, if humans fail as a species and we fall into extinction, the world's going to keep going. The forest will grow. Nature will grow. They'll grieve, but they will continue. You know, and then another species will be called forth to take our place, like how dinosaurs like roamed and dominated and then became extinct. So are we willing to overcome our intelligence and find our wisdom about this interrelatedness? So, you know, a bit of history about traditional beliefs about reciprocal relationships. So in general, Christians are taught and believe that they are born with original sin. Martin Prechtel, who lived in a traditional indigenous Mayan subgroup village in Guatemala, he was born in New Mexico, and then on a spiritual quest of sorts, ended up in Guatemala and lived with a traditional indigenous group for more than 20 years. He said that Mayans um, in his subgroup believe they're born with an original debt, an original debt. And in the Mayan worldview, we're all born owing a spiritual debt to the other world for having even created us, for having sung us into existence. And if we don't repay this, we actually suffer. And you're probably like, well, that sucks. So how exactly do I, we repay this debt? And Prechtel says, we have to give a gift to that which gives us life. It's an actual payment in kind. That is a spiritual economy of a community. And I'll do a whole podcast on a spiritual economy. I think it's a fascinating thing to explore. And Prechtel talks about singing as an analogy. It's like you sing on a little rock in the middle of a pond and it makes a ripple. It goes out to the shores when it hits the shore, there's actually an echo back towards you, right? That's the spiritual nutrition. So when we send out a gift, we send it out in all directions and it comes back to us from all directions. But, you know, industrial, technological inventions tend to take from the earth, but give nothing in return. Now, if we look at cars, very little, if anything, was given back to what fed the ability to invent and create the cars. Now, in a healthy culture, this is where, you know, healers or shamans would come in 
because with every invention, there's a spiritual death to it, right? Um, either ritually or in emotion with grief or maybe even warfare or depression. And this concept of this type of reciprocity, it's not a human creation. There's yin and yang. You know, the balance of which is always aimed for in the universe, life and death, dark and light, the one that offsets the other. So if we look at a knife, right, a knife, it's considered primitive, right, by most people in modern industrialized society. But for the Mayans, it's like the spiritual debt that must be paid for the creation of a knife is huge, okay? Because you think about it, the person who's trying to make the knife, they have to build a fire, make these super hot coals. So to pay for that, there's a sacrificial gift for the fuel to the fire. Then ideally this gift is something made by hand because one of the unique gifts of humans is the capacity to make something by hand. That not just animals, but like if we even go to like spirit realm, if you believe in that kind of thing, right? The spirits have a hard time being able to do that. So making something by hand is very special and an appropriate gift. Then once the fire's hot enough, they have to smelt the iron or out of the rock. The part that's left over, which usually we toss in modern industrialized society, that's considered actually the most holy part in shamanic rituals because what's left over represents the debt, this like hollowness that's carved out of the universe by our like creative inventions, our ingenuity. And we have to refill it with our ingenuity. So a gift equal, it could be a ritual gift, equal to the amount that was removed from the other world has to be put back to make up for the wound that was caused to create this thing in the more than human world, right? And this happens in relationship too. So many times, People take, take, take from someone without giving back. Or we give, give, give without being open to receiving. So our capacity to create and invent is this awesome thing, but only so far as it's used to feed in a reciprocal way the energy that gives us the ability to even perform all of these amazing feats to create, right? So just to get the iron, you know, in, in the example of a shaman, they have to pay for the ore, the fire, the wind, and all that, not just in dollars and cents, but in ritual activity, equal to what's been given, the spiritual economy. Then, then it has to be made into steel, and the steel has to be hammered into the shape of a knife, sharpened and tempered, and then you still have to add a motherfucking handle. By the time the knife is finished, it is called the tooth of the earth. It's going to cut wood, meat, plants. But if the necessary sacrifices have been ignored in the name of efficiency or rationalism, literism, and human superiority, the Mayan belief is it will cut humans instead. Damn, right? This isn't some external being imposing suffering. This is just karma. So you can see how all of the ritualistic debt to be paid, and even if you're like, what the fuck ritual? Okay, fine, forget the word, energetic exchange. So all of the energetic exchange for what we took to pay that, it makes the knife pretty damn expensive. It's super involved in time consuming. So 
the need for ritual and reciprocity makes some things actually too spiritually expensive to bother with. And who knows, maybe that's why the Mayans didn't invent space shuttles or shopping malls or backhoes. They're very advanced and live as they do, not because it's romantic, it's hard as fuck, but because it works. So Western culture or modern industrialized society believes all materials dead, there's no debt incurred when we remove something from the more than human world. So we end up with these shopping malls and space shuttles and advanced technology, but we're not putting back so that energy is starving, that, that the more than human world is starving. And Prechtel says the universe is in a state of starvation and emotional grief because it hasn't been given what it needs, not just wants, but needs, because it's a law of the universe in the form of these spiritual gifts, like ritual food or physical gifts. So we think we're getting away with something by stealing from something else, but it leads to a type of violence, right? Inward and outward towards ourselves, towards others. You know, the Oracle at Delphi said, woe to humans, the invention of steel. Hmm. Why would they say that? And it reminds me of some of the things people said when splitting the atom was discovered, right? I mean, here long ago, we have the Oracle at Delphi, woe to humans, the invention of steel. And so this brings a lot of us to a dark place. We think of wars, depression, self-hate, fucked up global economies, and we inflict violence upon each other as a way to replace, you know, energetically what we steal from nature because we've forgotten this agreement that our land-based roots signed on to a long time ago. And instead, we objectify the relationship as either a very personal experience or a pathology instead of like this bigger spiritual energetic obligation as as a way the universe works. So then we start to have this rationalist kind of armoring up, right? And this feeds into greed. And so we become depressed you know, because of this, in part, because of this energetic imbalance, the taking, 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 and not giving back, we are registering that. And the energy around us is registering that, that something is out of balance. You know, as you've heard me say so many times, our emotions are information. What is happening? Let's get curious about them. Not just make the depression go away. Why? Why? When we have a culture that has for a long ass time ignored these relationships, it's almost like the depression is like becomes a way of life. You know, like as a practitioner, you know, I see so many people struggling with mental health. And it's not just because of this, but this is playing into it and is a root level aspect that like not many people are paying attention to, right? And then we try to fix the depression through technology, but that's not going to work. It's not addressing the root cause. 
And we try to fix it by plundering other cultures, culturally appropriating or killing the planet. And we keep doing it, right? And it's like when humans became civilized, we started to take in greed from the more than human world. But as we grow older, our life becomes more and more meaningful as a gift back. You know, some some people would look at it as a sacrifice, but really we're giving back. We're giving more and more gifts back to the other world. And they're fed by our actions. This is ideally, you know, when we talk about Bill Plotkin's stages, like this is what you get to do in the later half of life. You don't have to produce more. You're giving back to your people, to the universe. You're performing rituals. You're guiding. You're mentoring. Taking care and nurturing the land and the people and the community and the universe, right? So if we want to start healing, we have to redefine ourselves, right? A new culture has to develop around this where not just humans and our inventions or some God being at the center of the universe, right? But what should be at the center? And one of the paths I've been on for the last seven years has really been exploring the gift of grief and the gift of if we put grief in the center, um, not in a heavy way, but in a real way that connects, right? This empty place where our spirituality and humans can come together in our common humanity and we can sing together and support each other and weep together. Like that, what if that was at the center? And, you know, I'm very efficient. <laughs> I like to think in a systems way. How could we make this easier? And some really uh, rational and efficient business types out there might think, well, how do you respond to someone who might say that spiritual debt, the concept of spiritual debt is inefficient? Which, by the way, is one of the many reasons why modern industrialist society wiped out cultures that did value spiritual debt. And so this person might say, in the time your group spends making one knife, my group's going to make 300 knives and cut all your throats while we're at it. And Praxel says, well, if you take up that strategy, then you have to live with the ghosts of those you've murdered. And then you have to make more and more knives and you become more and more depressed while calling yourself advanced to rationalize your predicament. Hmm, that sounds familiar, Right. But when we're intimate in our relationships, it's harder to cause intentional and unintentional harm. And the same is true in our relationships with the more than human world. So when this shows up in our intimate relationships, it's not that different. Like we want to dance in reciprocity, not to keep score, like, well, you did this, so I'm gonna do that, or I did this, now you need to do that. But to have it flow more naturally because we embrace the universal truth of this reciprocity and the true awareness of our interdependence to all things. So knowing this, I hope you have an appreciation for starting to experiment with this idea of reciprocal relationship in all things. And hey, for the people pleasers or those in toxic relationships, toxic work environments, this also goes for people 
that care about you engaging in reciprocal relationship and giving back to you. You should also be receiving and they should also be giving just in a very natural way when we have this awareness of our interdependence. So again, not that the giving back needs to be the um, motivation, like I'm supposed to give back, but that there's an awareness of the universal truth of reciprocity and that if that isn't followed, we get imbalance and chaos and suffering, right? So I would like to invite you to get creative, practice the reciprocity of both giving and receiving, and ideally in your time outside this week, but you can really do this anywhere, anytime. And we can start with noticing what's around us. And then we can silently, or even better, quietly speaking, even softly, we acknowledge that thing and describe what we have received from it. So like, oh, here's this granite boulder that warmed me after my cold dip in the alpine lake provided me this warm slab to lie on and it holds me just perfectly in this little scoop and groove in its shape. Or here's the tree which gave me shade and a place to rest and restore. Then we want to find something to offer it. This could be a gesture, a song. Maybe you want to write a story and you can bury it or hide it where the earth, like just only the earth can read it. And there's no rules, right? So let the inspiration come to you. And I personally, I either like to sing, that's one of my favorite things, a song of praise to the thing and of gratitude. But um, I also will sometimes just from the back of my head at the nape of my neck, I'll just pluck a few strands of hair to offer. I've also cried and offered my tears. I've danced. Anything goes. So I want to invite you into this experiment and also into the inquiry of, wow, where would we be if if the making of a knife requires so much spiritual debt that we might even consider not making one? What are we doing? How how in debt are we, right? And how can we start closing that debt in a way that feels manageable to us through exploring this reciprocal relationship? And how can we start wondering where in my human relationships Can there be more balance in this, either in me giving back to people who have been helping me or in truly seeing with clear eyes when this law, the universal law of reciprocity is not honoring my energy? Or where am I blocking receiving where people are trying to give? All right? Okay, I'm going to go get ready to have some fun with the adventure masterminders here. Whales have been going off the hook. It's been amazing. Many, many whales per day. And we're going to be glamping on the beach. I'm just really looking forward to it because the sunsets have been epic. And I can't wait to welcome everyone and have this amazing week. So I wish the same to you. And I will have some stories to share next week. Bye. 
If you like what you heard, spread the love and share it. And if you want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, check out rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist training kit where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more. That's rebelbuddhist.com.